at one point in time, I was saving 70% of what I made because I didn't have any expenses. I didn't need anything. So I was chunking it all away. I was paying myself first. I was throwing it in a savings account. Just as soon as I got paid, it would automatically go into a savings account. And I, I built up a pretty nice nest egg from doing that. So welcome to the house hacking success podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey everyone, real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack all one word to 22828. That's house hack all one word to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, Jordan. We're thrilled you're here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about your background in business before you got into real estate. So, yeah, that's it's interesting. I, you know, I've always been interested in real estate. I, I tell a story that I have this really vivid memory of remembering being on a lawn with a buddy when we were 13. or We figured that it was 13 years old and we were talking about, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could own houses and people would pay down the mortgages? And coincidentally, both he and I own around 20 rentals now. So I guess we, we kept going, but you know, I've, I've always been interested in real estate and always been interested in business. So right out of college, I got a personal trainer certificate, started training people and immediately said, Hey, you know, I can only do so much on my own and I don't really want to be in the gym every morning at four thirty AM and stay there until 9 PM. So an average day for me would be 14, 15 hours. And I was doing really well. But I knew there was a better way. So I hired an admin to work for me. And then I hired two trainers to work for me. And eventually, I got myself completely out of the business. So I did that. It was hard to let that business go because it was doing pretty well. But I got a real estate license in 2016 and didn't end up selling my fitness business until 2018. So I was kind of juggling both. I would go in the gym for a team meeting every week. I would pop in a few times a week to make sure things were going well. But I, I knew deep down that I, I wasn't given any one thing, all the focus I should have been. And I wanted to be in real estate long term. So I ended up selling the fitness business last year to a, a coach who worked for me. Awesome. Awesome. And what was that transition like that, that immediate period of transitioning from, you know, I mean, were you able to give all your focus to real estate? Uh, and I sort of, I was at first, and that's the reason I sold the fitness business because I was completely out of the business. If I was just doing the smallest little bit of things to make sure that the business was carried along, it would be okay. So I probably spent five to 10 hours a week on the fitness business and then put 60 hours a week into my real estate business. And it really blew up because of it. But yeah, so it was more more mental space than anything else. It wasn't necessarily that I needed more time to do real estate because I, I owned the fitness business. It was 100% flexible how I dealt with it. I just needed more focus. So you bought your first house hack with an FHA loan back in 2016. Yeah. Uh, looks like you found that off the MLS. Could you tell us a little bit about that deal? Yeah. So oddly enough, we found it right around this time of the year. Um, I was looking with a buddy and we were looking for somewhere to move into to chop our rent down a little bit. I had probably looked at 
50 to 70 duplexes. I looked at a lot. And I didn't have any focus there. I was looking all over the cities. I was looking at anything. I was just purely looking for a good deal. Eventually, I said, hey, you know, I want to be in a certain area. So I started to focus my, my efforts a little more. And eventually, we found a place that had been sitting on the market for a while. It had bad tenants in it. It was in horrible shape. And the guy was just ready to be done. You could tell it was an accidental landlord type of thing. He picked it up on accident. Well, I think he had thought he wanted to be a landlord and picked it up. And I see this a lot where I always tell people, if you buy one rental property, it's going to be more headache than it's worth. And that's exactly what he had done. He bought one rental property. He didn't take care of it. It was a money drain on him. It just overall wasn't doing well. So I bought it. In December, immediately before we closed, we had both tenants moved out. So he had a friend staying in one of the units, paying him like $400 a month. Keep in mind, market rent here was $1,300 a month at the time. And then he had somebody living in the downstairs unit was completely trashed for $800 a month. So he was covering the mortgage a little bit more because he bought it for about 160 or something, but he wasn't making a ton of money. So it's easy to get him to throw those people out, to do some minor repairs. I actually moved into the really bad unit. So we, we rented out the unit that was in good shape that his friend was living in right away. Today, you know, I'm willing to take the sacrifice and live in this unit. It's disgusting. It smells like cigarettes and has food all over the walls and all sorts of stuff. The doors were falling off the bathroom. I mean, it, it was an experience. Um, I just moved in there and rented out the one bed, the two bedroom upstairs right away and immediately covered the entire mortgage with that. Had a roommate, the guy I was talking about, move into my unit, charged him $500 a month. So I covered all my bills there. And then I just went to work fixing up the place. I didn't do any of the work myself, but I, I hired people to do it. That's kind of cool because. It's almost like an entrepreneurial instinct we have. I think almost everyone we hear that when they move into their first place, they just naturally gravitate to the worst unit, you know, because they, they just somehow, I mean, of course, now a season, you know, you're a real estate agent. I am as well. Right. And we, we were a little more seasoned now. Like we understand why we did it. But sometimes looking back, I, I'm like, man, how did I know? Like, how did I have that instinct to like, why did I do, why didn't I go into the, you know, good unit first? But it's almost like an entrepreneurial instinct, you know, to where you just naturally know that I can get this one rented right away. I can cover the mortgage and then I'll just, you know, I'll repair and I'll fix up uh, the unit that I'm in or do whatever it, it takes to get this one fixed up. Yeah. And that was just it for me. I knew I could rent the other one out right away and I rented it out for 1200 so a little low. My mortgage was right at 1200 So I knew, hey, you know, month one. and that, So I closed in middle December. I had tenants move in the day after Christmas. So I never paid the mortgage payment on that place because my mortgage payment wasn't due until February 1st. With the lag time, yeah, mm -hmm. I never paid a mortgage payment. So uh, you are in Minneapolis right now in the yep. Minneapolis area, and you're moving to Austin. You're going to also house hack. Tell us about that uh, next place that you're about to move into. Interesting story. I planned on moving into that last winter. I'd actually moved most of my stuff in, and I went out on my motorcycle for a ride, and next thing you know, I woke up in the hospital. So I 
broke nine bones and had some pretty serious damage going on. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had moved into the place and I had to go, I was in the hospital for two months. I had to go through tons of rehab. It just made it easier to do it here when I already was living here. But, um, the plan has always been to move into that. I had planned to move into that and continue to run my fitness business. And that's why I was able to get a loan to move into that as a house hack. So the whole plan was stay down there, run the fitness business up here. Yeah, eventually sell it maybe, but that kind of came to a screeching halt when I broke my leg and both my arms and, and everything else. Yeah, so um, now you have over 20 units. Could you tell us a little bit about those deals? Yeah, so those all started while house hacking. So I had nothing. I had $6,000 in the bank when I started house hacking. Barely enough to get into my first house hack. I had to borrow money to do carpet and paint before I moved in. And over that next year, my living expenses dropped to zero. I got a little more aggressive about saving. So at one point in time, I was saving 70% of what I made because I didn't have any expenses. I didn't need anything. So I was chunking it all away. I was paying myself first. I was throwing it in a savings account. Just as soon as I got paid, it would automatically go into a savings account. And I, I built up a pretty nice nest egg from doing that. So I went looking for I went looking for a larger unit building. I knew I wanted to get into larger multifamily, and at the time I just thought, hey, anything over two units is great. So I was looking at duplexes and fourplexes and sixplexes in Minneapolis, and I looked at a sixplex in sort of a rough area, and it was around seven hundred thousand dollars. I said, hey, you know, I don't have anywhere close to the down payment to get into this. And even the duplexes and fourplexes I was looking at were close to a million dollars for fourplexes and duplexes were three and four hundred thousand. I quickly realized, hey, I can buy another duplex and I can stay in that area for a while or I can just jump up and buy a sixplex and move forward as quickly as I can. And that's what I meant to do. So. I went and looked in Louisville, Kentucky, because I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I know it like the back of my hand. My father's a real estate agent there. It, it just made sense for me personally, and I think that's important for anybody looking to invest out of state. Maybe have a friend investing in the area. You just want some inside knowledge about the area. You've got family there. Your grandma lives there. Something. I knew in Louisville, I would be able to find contractors and handyman and anybody I needed really easily. Like I needed to get lawn care done. I just called a buddy and said, Hey man, you know, I need my lawn mowed. Who should I call? And he said, Hey, call this guy. So the referrals were way easier and just knowing the market helped quite a bit. So my first sixplex was in Louisville, Kentucky. And I lived in that duplex for another year or so moved out, ended up moving in with a buddy. And, and about a year later, I was looking for more sixplexes. So just last year, I was looking for more sixplexes and two more popped up. Well, one popped up on the street of where I already have the sixplex. So I said, hey, do you have anything else on the street? You know, I'm really looking to buy as much as I can. And he had another sixplex on the street. So I bought that. And now I have three kind of in a row on that street. So that's the remainder of my 20 units outside of Austin, Texas. 
first of all, we hear this often, and Craig Kurlop said this last time. You talked about moving back to Louisville because you knew you had a team there. You knew people there that could get you, set you up in good positions. Craig Kurlop said on the show, and we kind of agree with this, he, he says, I would much rather have an A team in a B area than going to an A area with a B team. Yeah, right? and I you knew. Really important. Yeah, and you knew, you know, that you could get all the connections based on the area, and there might be many other Louisvilles, you know, around the country. But you knew people there, and that's so important. And I see. So I, being in Minneapolis, and it being a lower price market than, let's say, California, I get calls from California investors all the time, and they say, "Hey, you know, I've been looking at Minneapolis and." My first question is always, well, what's your relationship with Minneapolis? And I don't mean to discourage people, but you want a relationship with the area. Like you said, you'd rather have an A team in a B area and and know way more about the area than just randomly be investing in certain areas. So yeah. I think you really need to consider that when you're investing out of state. I have no plans to invest anywhere other than places I know acutely. So Louisville, Kentucky, Austin, Texas. Minneapolis, Minnesota, I know all those markets like the back of my hand. And if I went to look in Memphis, Tennessee or Nashville or Jacksonville, Florida or Tampa, Tampa, Florida is interesting because my mom lives there. and It just I don't know enough about it to jump in it. Mm -hmm. But I really encourage people to stay with what they know. Or, yeah, stay where you've got an A team in Louisville. I've got an A team. I've got an A team property manager. I've got an A-plus realtor, my father. Um, I know all the handyman, maintenance people, lawn care that I could ever want to know. So mm -hmm. it's really, really easy to manage properties out of state when you just have this amazing network all around you. So let's speak a little bit um, before we go any further into the difference in funding between you know your two-unit um, that you've got as an owner-occupied, and your sixth unit, which is no longer residential loan, it's it's now commercial loan. Speak to that, to the people that aren't familiar, the difference between a residential and commercial and what the requirements are and just kind of how you're able to fund those deals. Yeah, so residential funding's kind of all done under the umbrella of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So they, they set the criteria. They've got a box. Lenders can make that box tighter, but they can't make it looser. So they're going to say, hey, you have to meet this criteria. You have to meet this income. Everything needs to be in this little box here. And a, a big thing I see a lot of times are people are shopping around to find how they can break the box. It doesn't, with residential, that doesn't really happen so much. You can find portfolio loans, local banks, people that are a little more creative and going to work with you. But in my experience, typically no. But the good news is that box is awesome. You can have a low credit score. You can not have a ton of income. It's super easy to work within. And if you, let's say, don't have the down payment saved up, it's not impossible for anybody to save up a 3.5% down down payment on a duplex in their area. It just takes being committed and being disciplined. Commercial financing, on the other hand, is just whoever, whatever wants to do it. The bank's lending their money. They set the box. So the box might be out here. It might be here. It really depends on the bank's appetite for what type of asset you're trying to buy, too. So in my instance, I called four or five banks, and they said, nope, can't do it for you. You don't live in Louisville, Kentucky. It was one of the bigger things I heard. Hey, you're not a local guy. 
So I kept calling around, and I knew there was somebody that was going to do it for me. Eventually, believe it or not, U.S. Bank stepped up and financed those transactions. Um, the first first one I bought when I was in the duplex that I first bought, the seller financed that, and I was able to work with him and give it a slightly higher interest rate for a lower down payment. So I gave him 15% down. He wanted 20 and he gave me a, a point higher interest rate. So you can get pretty creative with seller financing or commercial financing. Really, I'm looking at buying another sixplex on that street right now, and I'm working with the loan officer, and it's however you want to arrange things, it, it can work. So she has 15-year loans that are fully amortized over 15 years, and they have a great interest rate, but they're just a 15-year loan. She has 10-year loans that are amortized over 25 years, and it's just kind of, it's like Baskin-Robbins. You know, pick what you want best. Where residential, it's okay, you get this. So uh, could you tell us how being a real estate agent has given you a new perspective on real estate? It, I think more more just learning the rules. of The biggest thing for me has been learning the lending side of things as much as I can. So just understanding the rules there and understanding where I can bend the rules and understanding where it's just a box and I, this is what I have to do. And knowing what I have to do is helpful because then I can go do the things I need to do. Being an agent is building relationships with the local community is huge. And anybody can do this, agent or not, but this is just what's worked best for me. It's, you know, access to the MLS is cool and it gives you a good tool, but I think your best tool is relationships with the local investor community. So people knowing that I get deals done and I make sure that things close is really useful for me as an investor. And it's also really useful for me as an investor to learn how to make sure deals get done and things close. So as an agent, I think the, the biggest tool I have is relationships, just building relationships with people, having more of an end to build relationships as an agent helps because I'm like, Hey man, I want to sell your house or I want to sell your duplex or triplex or fourplex. How can we get this done? And once you do things for people, you get to know them. A lot of doors open. Yeah. And it maybe even sparks your creative juices, you know, to where, I mean, we're already creative as investors, but um, at least for me, I mean, it's a lot, you know, I just see things differently from the perspective of getting creative and, and figuring things out. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of creative, I want to talk a little bit more about that house hack in Austin that I'll be moving into. So I was having a really, in my, my box is duplex, buy a duplex. Because in Minneapolis, there's a boatload of duplexes and they still make sense to buy as house hacks or investments or whatever you're buying them for. In Austin, I was looking for a duplex and I just wasn't having an easy time finding them. Another thing, my financing that I was able to procure for an owner-occupied property when I didn't yet live in Austin limited me to a single family. So I could have given up and said, hey, you know, this, I can't buy a duplex. I can't do it. I can't, I can't house hack. But I decided that there's got to be another way. So I started looking for single families with accessory dwelling units. And there was and for someone that doesn't know what that is, tell them a little bit about accessory dwelling units. It's, ADUs. Mm -hmm. it's essentially a second house on the lot. It can be a, a garage unit or something, but it's 
a mother-in-law suite. It's a guest house. It's it's anything else besides the main house that people live in. So mine, for instance, has a three-bedroom, one-bath house in the front, decent-sized house. In the back, it has what used to be a garage and is now a one-bedroom, one-bath house. So it, perfect for house hacking, perfect for Airbnb. There's lots of things you can do with them, but... You know, I knew that me personally, if I just tried to stay in the one box, I was going to be in trouble. I wasn't going to find something. Awesome. So as an agent, you've helped uh, over 30 people find their first house hack, right? Something you specialize in is house hackers. Uh, yeah, just what this is, last year too. Yeah, yeah, just in this past 12 months. Uh, what do you first recommend to people? Like how do, you, how do you approach them? Like what do you recommend for a house hacker specifically to figure out? So – Obviously, the the general advice still applies. Talk to a loan officer, see what you have to do. I talked to a loan officer about three years before I bought my first property. But for house hackers, meeting other house hackers and going to investor meetups and seeing what people are actually doing in your area is very helpful. And then starting to analyze deals. You know, learning how to analyze deals and starting to analyze deals is the first thing you need to do. Going to waste your time going in just a ton of properties that don't make any sense if you don't know how to analyze the deal or you don't know just how to look at a deal and see what a good deal might look like. You know, I can generally look at a price of a property on the MLS and know the rents in the area and say, hey, this, this looks interesting. But if you don't have any idea about any of that, that's your first step. You need to start figuring out, you know, what are the market rents in this area? What what types of properties would I be interested in? What what does a good deal look like? And rentometer dot com is one of the you know at least for us the best places to figure out that market rent because sometimes it can be difficult. You know if you look up uh, you know on Facebook or Craigslist or anywhere else you know apartments dot com whatever it'd be challenging because some are in apartments you know some are in mall you know and you just got a duplex or something. But rentometer dot com is really a great resource for that. Yeah, I have a pro subscription because I use it all the time. Um, I probably use it every day. But Rentometer and then getting a little deeper into Rentometer, actually checking the rent comps and seeing you know, what, what is a property exactly like mine rent for. Exactly, yeah. Because they even break it down for your apartments versus single family versus, yes. Yeah, you want to – so in Minneapolis, we're having a lot of new apartment construction they might get higher rents than you would get as a duplex. So you want to figure that out before mm-hmm. you start analyzing deals. Mm-hmm. So speaking of analyzing deals, uh, what does that look like for house hackers? So I, um, it sounds like you've had Craig Kerloff on here. I absolutely recommend picking up his book and, and reading that. And that's another first step is understanding what the numbers look like in a property. So I just use spreadsheets to analyze deals and, that it's really easy to make something a great deal as a house hack because you're going to put down such little money. You're going to have, if you can come cash flow even or making money, you're going to, you're going to be great. So I recommend people make a hundred to $200 per duplex. And if you can make a hundred to $200 when you've put down three and a half percent, your cash on cash return is going to be amazing. So if you can find something that, it makes money and that's not too hard. So in Minneapolis, let's say the average rent on a on a duplex is fourteen to fifteen hundred dollars for a two bedroom unit in a decent neighborhood. And the average price is around three hundred thousand. So 
If you can find something right around 300000 and you can get $1,500 a month rent on each side, you're probably in pretty good shape because your mortgage is going to be a little under $2,000. Now your expenses are going to be, say, two to $300 on fixed expenses, and then you've just got variable expenses on top of that. So that's pretty sweet when you move out. And yeah. just by having any money coming in, the $10,000 you put down or $12,000 you put down to buy that place is right. really and we always say the greatest ROI of house hacking is the fact that you can essentially live for free or come really close, right? Absolutely. And so most investors, the difference, you know, I talk to people all the time with house hacking is most investors, uh, every investor, right? If they're buying a duplex, they have to cash flow on day one, right? Yeah. That's their goal is to cash flow on day one. Otherwise, it's probably not a great area unless they're banking on appreciation, right? Uh, but for a house hacker, if you can literally just come close to breaking even or actually break even, that's the big ROI. You know? Yeah, I think living in it, it's super easy. And there's, it, Craig talks about this, there's that comfortability scale. I went real far in the uncomfortable scale, not as far as he did, um, but pretty far. Yeah. So I, I lived in a room in a three-bedroom unit. I had a roommate in one of those rooms. And then I also had an Airbnb guest in one of the other rooms. And this was, I somehow missed the part of the closing table that you're not, not supposed to do a short-term rental. Um, but it, it worked out great for me. So I rented out the other unit above me for $1,200. That was my mortgage. I rented out his room for $500. That was all of the expenses that I ever could have thought of. Then I rented out the Airbnb room for roughly $500 a month. So I was making five to $700 a month to live oh, in my house. That's awesome. That's so amazing. And, and imagine if you do that three or four times. So if you get three of those properties, keep them as rentals, move into a fourth one. That's a house hack for a lot of people in their budget. They're essentially financially free. Oh yeah. Yeah. So for me, it, the biggest, the best deals I've had so far are house hacks. So I own three other buildings, all six plexes that are rental properties and they cash flow just, just fine. But the first duplex I buy, I got a good deal on it because it was the middle of the winter. I probably should have paid around 220, 230, paid 182 for it because it was the middle of the winter and it's very cold here. Um, he was desperate around this time of year. People get kind of desperate because between Thanksgiving and mid February, nobody's looking for a house, even investors. So people get desperate. I got a good deal on it. It was in a great area. It was in bad shape. I fixed it up in three years. Two and a half years, I ended up selling it for a hundred and forty thousand more than I paid for it. So I used that to go reinvest. I'd moved out, I ten thirty one all that money. I used that to go reinvest. And the hardest thing I deal with with moving into this property in Austin is that I bought it for two hundred and sixty thousand. I put around thirty into it, and now it's worth over four hundred. So, yeah, I want to move in another house hack, but I'm like, oh, crap, I've got a hundred and change sitting in this place that I could put to work on something else. So, I'll live there for a year or so and get my bearings, get my feet underneath me, but I absolutely am not going to keep that forever. And I'm a buy and hold investor, but I'm not buy and hold forever. Buy and hold until it makes sense to sell. Uh, what would you recommend for financing for house hackers? So I've got two different answers and it, it really just depends on what you're looking to do. So if you're going to go buy a single family house, 
it's easier to get a conventional loan accepted as an offer. And it's it, generally, it's just a better loan. Um, your PMI drops off after you hit 21%. Uh, they don't do as much of a thorough inspection. It's just easy to deal with. So I'm going out to show a couple single family homes here today to a younger woman who's going to be house hacking. And she's going to be doing a 3 to 5% conventional loan when she does it. But if you're going to do a duplex, there are conventional loan options. They're really easy to get. Um, you have to make under a certain amount to get the current conventional loan option. And you have to have what they call credit depth, meaning they want to see good credit for a long period of time. But um, the loan officer I work with here, he, he changes his mind depending on what the guidelines are saying at the time. So he doesn't change his mind. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac changed their minds. So we used to recommend that people get conventional loans first on duplex because it's super easy to go get an FHA loan right after. So FHA, the FHA loans changed it where you had to have both mortgages self-sufficient and it just got more complicated. So we recommend FHA loans first for duplexes now and then later on going and getting that 5% down conventional loan for a, a duplex to fourplex. So. It just depends. I'd say FHA on duplex all day, but if you're going to do conventional house or sorry, a single family house, go conventional. It's interesting. And it's it, a lot of that is to do with in, uh, mortgage brokers or, or banks interpretation of that. Yeah. Right. Because uh, at least in my area and Craig's area as well in Denver, right. Uh, duplexes, right. We, we recommend in our, you know, my local, local ben, lenders recommend conventional. But above a duplex, like a triplex and a fourplex, FHA, you know, is, is really the only way because now they require reserves and things like that. So a lot of times it can be local and up to the interpretation of lenders. Yeah. So we last year we used to, like I said, in 2018, it was all conventional first, then FHA. In 2019, it's we've shifted a little bit and it's FHA and then conventional. And uh, full disclosure, I'm not a lender, so I leave that to my lender who's also yeah. an investor and it's a great guy, and he's helped me with tons of house hacks. So uh, I try to bring in experts that know more than me. Awesome. I, I know I can't know everything, so I, I try to align myself with those people. Awesome. So uh, aligning yourself with those people, what are your long-term goals uh, in real estate, moving out to Austin? Like, what, are your, what are your long-term goals? So a goal that I've had for a while, and I may need to adjust this because I think it's going to be easier to hit than I thought. Um. The unit goal I have is 50 units by 2025. It's not even 2020, and I already have 20. And um, a goal for me also is, or a thought, is to get rid of these sixplexes and get a 30 to 50 unit, and that's kind of what I'm working on right now too. Um, as far as a, a cash flow goal, I want I want to hit $8,000 a month in the next few years in cash flow. So but my goal isn't a dead set. Once I hit this goal, I'm done working. I'm done doing anything. I love working with people and I love helping them house hack. And I, I really like helping people build their financial future. So I don't think that at any time I'll be done working, but I, I'd like to have a little more flexibility eventually. Awesome. So uh, what would you say separates potential house hackers from those who are actually doing it? Just understanding the numbers and being willing to, to pull the trigger. There's always going to be something that there's an unknown or a concern or a worry. We just had a duplex inspection 
on Thursday and it looked like it was in great shape. You'd walk up and say, oh, that property's awesome. But you guys both know um, there's always stuff on inspections. So this guy is not the kind of guy to get scared from things. We're going to negotiate and get him some concessions. And, you know, there's going to be some things in the end that he has to deal with just as a law. There always is. But just being willing to take that first step. I didn't know anything about managing a property or owning a property. My first property had a gravity furnace in it and everybody else ran from it because it had that gravity furnace. But are you guys familiar with the gravity furnace? I'm not. So it's essentially, it, it looks like a furnace. It doesn't have any motors that move the air. Um, and typically they're wrapped in asbestos. This one was not. This one was the anomaly that was not wrapped in asbestos. It's just a flame in the bottom of the furnace. And then the heat floats up through extraordinarily large vents because there's no forced air that heat the house. So there's a, there's a duct work that goes to each floor vent. And there's not one central duct work area. There's just, they, they call them octopuses because they look like an octopus with all these crazy ducts coming off. But that was another thing in mind that scared other people. And maybe I just didn't know at the time, but anymore I know that you can get rid of these for around 10 grand and you can work that into your budget and you can make a great deal happen. But people walk in and see things like a gravity furnace or old windows and, oh, absolutely not. I don't want that deal. I don't want to deal with that. There's always... It's always a number where it makes sense. So this place in Austin, they had it listed at 290. I put it under contract for 290, did an inspection. There was just a world of stuff wrong with it. And it's kind of a nightmare. But we said, hey, for us to be willing to move forward, you're going to have to drop the price by $30,000. Because we're going to have to spend at least that to make it decent. And it's a great place now. I can't wait to move in. But Awesome. I've got a ton of equity because I took that risk and you just need to be willing to take, there's always some risks. It's nothing is ever that easy and nothing is ever risk free. And if you're willing to take the risks and, and do the work, you're going to get there. I have not seen anybody fail house hacking ever. Yeah. I've seen them be nervous moving in, but if their numbers are right, when they're buying the place, it, they always overcome any obstacle they have. All right. Because our biggest goal was just to live for free. And I actually did something similar here in Michigan. Uh, boiler systems are are super were super common, um, more than like the gravity uh, fed like you had. But a boiler system, and I, you know, I was really unfamiliar. I mean, I knew the downsides to it, um, but that's why this market, you know, this house had been sitting on the market for a while, and this bank owned, and you know, I completely gutted it or whatever. But uh, I just decided to do it anyways, you know, and it cost me about 10 grand to replace it. But uh, I just factored it into my numbers, you know, and it, it scared so many others off. But it's been the best deal I ever did um, because I just I just decided to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find stuff that you're comfortable with and really just have to get uncomfortable. I think that's that's the biggest thing that separates successful house hackers from people that don't do it is are you willing to be uncomfortable for a few years to live a hundred percent better down the road? And if you can be uncomfortable for just a few years, you can have an exponentially better life because of it. Yeah. So transitioning here, uh, Drew and I are both big time readers and I know you do as well a little bit. Um, talk about your favorite business or mindset book. Of course I've read rich dad, poor dad and, and, and love that book and love the whole series. 
the biggest business book for me was the E-Myth. Just understanding leverage and understanding how to develop systems and processes has been a big deal for me. And I, I'm not great at it, but I've been able to put together some good systems that I don't do any of the work on any of my rental properties. I don't, I don't have to. I wouldn't yeah. be able to go out and do other things if I did all that. So yeah. E-Myth is huge. Absolutely read that if you haven't or anybody listening, check out the E-Myth. And yeah. Whole E-Myth series too. So I have look at my bookshelf. I have three or four E-Myth yeah. books over here. I just got done reading the uh, updated one with Dan Merrill. Well, not even updated, but the new one with uh, it was. I don't know what it was called. It was real estate specific, but uh, you know, Emith uh, Real Estate Investor, something like that. And uh, with Dan Merrill, and it, I mean, it was a credible book. Yeah, you can't build a big business without systems and processes and leverage. Um, I know it's people's nature that oh, I'm going to do everything myself. It just doesn't work. Yeah, you can't do everything yourself. You can't be the A guy on everything. Totally agree. Of course, of course. Uh, so, do you have a favorite real estate book too? My favorite real estate book, and um, when I got started, I obviously I hadn't heard of Bigger Pockets, hadn't done any of that stuff. Um, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller is just super easy to understand, and that was recommended to me right off the bat. Read that and love that book. So. That's really what got me got me moving. Um, I've always been interested in it, but just seeing some action, actionable advice and seeing how easy it is to do got me moving. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. So uh, where can people find out more about you and your story and follow you? Maybe they're in Austin, Texas. We have a lot of listeners from the Texas area. Uh, where can people reach out to you and learn more about you? Um, so if anybody needs anything, my phone number is 502-855-1379. And of course, I'm on Instagram, BiggerPockets, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, any of those platforms. I, I check pretty regularly. Awesome. I'm sure you'll be able to put my contact information in the show notes here, yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm an we'll open book. If you need something, I'll, I'll talk to you a bit about it. I'll give you some advice and tell you what I did. Might not have been the right thing, but it's wor- worked okay for me. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Jordan. You have a great story, and uh, we definitely wish you the best on your travels out to Texas. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. You have a great day. Yeah, you too, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. And get out there and get something done for whoever's listening. Don't don't wait. Just act. Absolutely. Don't buy a bad property. Don't wait forever. There's never going to be a perfect time or a perfect situation or a perfect property. You're always going to find one. And then see one six months later that, oh, I should have bought that one. Yeah. Just just start. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. All right, man. You have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed. So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.